You know, we've been doing a series on the gift of the Holy Spirit. How many know that it was incredible when Jesus made the statement, it is good for you that I go away, because if I go away, I will send the comforter. I will send, send the counselor. I will send a friend, an advocate, uh, a you know, helper. Depending on your translation, there's all kinds of terminologies that are used there. We've been walking through that. And we've been building up to this moment, and, and you know, sometimes God gives me things, and it's, it's laid out, and I know kind of where I'm going, but I don't know the particulars of the details, and when I get there, it kind of all comes into focus. And so as I was working on the, this week, I, I was brought to this idea and this thought, the practice of the presence. Now, how many of you have ever heard that saying, practice makes perfect, Right? Now, I realize we're not perfect, but how many of you ever had that thing in your life that you was like, you know what, I don't, you're working on it, you desire it, and, and you're pressing on towards it, and you're like, I don't know if I'll ever get it. I don't know if I'll ever get it right. I don't know if I'll ever be able to do this. And then, but somehow you pressed on, and you practiced, and you practiced, and you practiced, and then the next thing, you know, you got there, and it became second nature. As I was working on that, I thought, I remember my moment way back, and we're talking a long, long time ago. Trying to learn how to ride a bike. I mean, that Christmas, my parents had got me this beautiful new bicycle that they completely surprised me with. You know how it is when you're, when you're a dad. I mean, I did this later on for things with my kids where you stay up almost all night Christmas Eve putting something together. And I mean, the bike that wasn't there when, when I went to bed was suddenly there in the Christmas tree. And it had the nice, shiny training wheels on it. I thought I would never master the idea of being able to ride on two wheels. And I, I, it's still one of, those, one of those vivid memories in my life of dad saying, it's time, we're ready to take the training wheels off. And I was in fear, no, no, no. And so finally he talked me into it. He said, I will just... I'll, I'll, I'll go behind you, and I'll just kind of help hold you up and steady. He was like, okay, I can live with that. What I didn't know is just a few pedals in, he had let go. And I'm thinking he's back there holding me up the whole time. And then I look back and realize I was doing it all by myself, which was cool. And I started going down the road, and then all of a sudden I realized I don't know how to stop without training wheels. But have you ever felt that way about Perhaps your personal spiritual walk, that there's some level, some place that you say, I don't know if I can ever get there. But what would it look like if we were able to take off the spiritual training wheels? And we were able to step out and begin to do some things that we never thought possible. But just like learning to ride a bike, it takes a practice. It takes the, and I think as the church, part of what we see going on in the church around us today is we've gotten comfortable with the idea of doing things without the move of the Holy Spirit. And that we need to get back to the idea of practicing His presence in our services and in our lives. Because we live in a time, let's make no mistake, we live in a time where the church is under attack. 
We hear reports all the time. I mean, sometimes you hear a report and you can almost hear the glee in the announcer's voice when he talks about how the church as a whole is on decline. Almost like that's a great thing. We live in a time where more and more those of us that, that, that profess to know Christ and to follow Christ, even when they're put in a position where maybe they're appointed for some kind of office, that all of a sudden their faith is picked apart because somehow that's supposed to disqualify somebody. And yet, there is one group in all this time and all this talk of the decline of the church that is defying the odds worldwide. Did you know that there is an element of the church that is growing by leaping, leaps and bounds and we don't hear it? I'll give you some statistics. In the 1900s, there was less than one million spirit-filled believers in the world. Today, think about this. Less just a little over 100 years later, today there's an estimated 700 million spirit-filled believers worldwide. Estimates say that at the current rate of growth, that by 2050, we're expected to top the 1 billion mark worldwide. God's church is advancing, and we don't hear it much anymore because it, it goes against the narrative. But it's interesting that the churches that are advancing are spirit-filled church. A couple of more statistics. The great thing is, is because of this, less of the world, there's much less of the world that has, that has, has not had an adequate presentation of the gospel. In the 1900s that I mentioned, that literally more than half of the world had not had a, a reasonable presentation of the gospel. Today, that number is less than one quarter of the world's population has not received an adequate presentation of the gospel. So the question I want to throw out to you today is why would this great, crazy group of fanatics, these people that are exuberant in their worship, these people that, that believe that God still speaks and moves and performs miracles a day, the ones that people call the fanatics, like I said last week, you know, a fanatic isn't something that scares me because I'm a fan and I'm addicted to him, so call me a fanatic all you want. But what is the difference? What is the thing that's making the difference? What is this thing as a whole? And it's very simple. We call it the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? Practice does make perfect. So I bold it all down, what I'm saying today, to one statement. The practice of His presence is the perfecting agent that much of the church is missing. Because when we practice his presence, how many know that the Holy Spirit, part of his job is to keep perfecting us, to keep working in us, to keep advancing us in our walk with Christ? Read in Luke chapter 3, verse 16. This is the other 316. It says, Jesus answers saying to all, I, I'm sorry, John answered saying to all, I, need, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
I know. Anytime you talk about this, there's some people that say, well, well, you know what? I, I, I'm a believer, and, and I'm, I'm born again. I've asked Christ into my life, and, and so the Holy Spirit is, is already in my life, right? Or maybe you were taught that, you know, that this is all the Holy Spirit that you need when once you receive Christ, man, you've got everything you need for salvation. And the answer to both of those is yes, that's absolutely right. But just like the infomercials we see all the time, but wait, there's more. There is more. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit abiding within us as a born-again believer. Yes, we're, we're, as we're followers of Christ, He is active. And, and, and there's an, but there's an empowering that experience that is available to us to help us accomplish what's beyond that. And it's in addition to salvation. And we call it the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So as I'm making the case today, I was telling somebody this morning, I said, today I'm going to use a lot of Scripture. And I'm going to be pointing out some things. This is maybe probably more teaching than preaching. But really today I'm going to be making a point and showing you some things perhaps differently than you've looked at it before. But in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 and 2 it makes this statement. Therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. There's that word again. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the, and I want you to underline this next three words in your mind, doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So this morning, in a very real way, and I want to show you a picture of three different baptisms in Scripture. Now, we don't always refer to each of these as baptisms, but in essence, they're what, that's what they are. And so we're going to talk about it. First of all, we're going to talk about the baptism into salvation. I mean, you know, there was a point in time that you weren't in Christ, and there was a point in time you were in Christ. So what happened? One such moment is if salvation, how many know that salvation is the greatest miracle of all? We get accused sometimes as being a little more exuberant in our worship that we're pursuing signs and wonders. We're chasing after those things. And, and really, for some people, that may be the truth. But for, for me, it's just a desire to pursue him and to press into him and to know him more and let him have more in, uh, activity in my life. And the more we open ourselves to his presence and to his Holy Spirit to move, signs and wonders do show up. But that's not what we're seeking. But no matter how much we, we love those things, yes, I love it when somebody gets dramatically healed. I love it when, when incredible things happen in people's lives, but we must always remember that the greatest miracle of all is that a holy God would leave heaven, clothe himself in flesh, allow himself to be crucified on the cross, laid in the tomb, raised up on the third day, and because of that, we can stand free and clear. That is the greatest miracle of all. First Corinthians twelve thirteen says this for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. Our moment of salvation this morning, we're going to call it being baptized into the body of Christ. 
And what it means is that the Holy Spirit is involved in that process. He is the one that does the baptism. You know, guess what? You cannot be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. We've probably all been there. Anyone that knows him, you had that moment and the message was presented in some fashion. Maybe you were raised in it, but still the Holy Spirit was involved. At some point in your life, the Holy Spirit brought you to that point and made you to understand that you had no hope without asking Christ into your life. That he was the one that, that drew you and, and gave you that revelation. You realize at that point that I can't make it. I can't save myself. There is nothing I can do. Without him, I am lost. And my only hope is to follow this tugging that I feel in my spirit. And we follow that. That's the moment we are baptized into the body of Christ when we surrender. But we can see it a little bit clearer of that. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe you've never asked yourself this. But when was the disciples baptized in the body of Christ? I'm not talking about water baptism. I'm talking about when was, when was the point that... I mean, because there had to be some point, just because they were following Jesus... It'd be kind of like some of us saying, well, just because I went to church my whole life, at some point there had to be something that happened. I want to read to you the moment that I believe that the baptism into the body of Christ happened for them. John chapter 20, verse 19 through 22. Then the same day at evening, and this is after Jesus rose from the dead, so beginning the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, the fear of for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them with his hands and his side. Then, he, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said again to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this was not the day of Pentecost. This was the moment that he breathed into them, and I believe that that's the point. They truly became a part of the body of Christ. Christ had done the work on the cross. He had been laid in the tomb. He had risen from the grave, and he came to them, and they had this moment and this encounter. Now, think about that. He was not baptizing them in the Spirit at this point. That was coming on the day of Pentecost. This was the first time that the disciples actually received the spiritual renewing presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The inner presence of the Spirit was there. The new life in Christ had begun. They were followers, and now they were getting ready to go and be the ones that would carry his message around the world. They were literally at that moment baptized in the body of Christ. Doesn't it happen that way for us? Can you remember 
that time when you just knew. You were, maybe you were in a service and you were somewhere and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came and, and began to speak and just something stirred in you and you just knew that I have to respond. Kind of like the video we saw for Speed the Light where the lady was there and she was seeing the words on the screen and she just knew, I don't know much about this Jesus, but I've got to have this. There's that moment that that happens for us. And we step in and we surrender our lives to them. I was telling somebody, I see, I see Yankee and Robin here today. And I, I was telling somebody just last night about your story about when you gave your life to Christ that Sunday. And uh, we had a good laugh about him saying, Pastor, you're killing me as he's walking towards the front, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. Good to see you guys. So we have that moment. We have that moment that that the Holy Spirit comes. And it's an incredible moment. And then we're told that there's another baptism that's supposed to follow that one, and that's the baptism in water. Where the old becomes new. And this is the second step that we're supposed to follow. It's in obedience to Christ He told us to. Matthew 28, 19. <clears throat> says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We see this all through Scripture. The baptism in water following someone receiving Christ. I love the story of Philip when he's walking along the road and there's the Ethiopian there and they have this dialogue literally traveling on a, a desert road and all of a sudden he ends up giving his life to Christ and, and they're talking back and forth and they come upon a place where there's some water and they stop right then on the side of the road and steps off and he baptizes him in water right then and there after he gave his life to Christ. And we see that they went their separate ways from there. And, and God did, but history tells us that this, this eunuch did carry the gospel back to Ethiopia and people were saved because of that one encounter right then and there. To me, one of the most moving experiences watching people be baptized. You know, I, I know that there's, and I'm not slamming anybody else, but I'm going to resist the temptation to move any baptisms we have to some alternate time slot. There is something about celebrating it as a part of the service where people can experience and see what happens because it's an incredible moment. When somebody has that miraculous moment, they give their life to Christ and they follow him in water baptism because that's a moment where there's an outward declaration of the inward work that God has done. And they, and they have those moments. Because you know what? Many times you can get family members to baptism services. It's incredible. Colossians 2.12 gives us a clue where it says that we're buried with him in baptism in which we're also raised with him through faith into the working of God who raised him from the dead. See, water baptism is that outward expression of the work that God's done in our life. It literally symbolizing the laying to rest of the old man and the raising up of the new creation in Christ. It's a powerful moment and the old person's laid to rest, and the Holy Spirit's involved in that process as well. You know, I love how that when Jesus was baptized, we see that the Holy Spirit physically showed up in the form of a dove. 
because of that incredible step of faith. I'll never forget, a few years back, we had a baptism service, and there were some family members there of one of the individuals who was being baptized, and some other people, boom, the, the, the place was full, and, and we, were, we were doing it, we were baptizing people, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I felt the Holy Spirit say, give an altar call now. And it wasn't even the agenda, so I just got up and just gave a very basic explanation of what it was, what salvation was, and began to talk through it. And you could see that God, the Holy Spirit, had already prepared some hearts, and I just said, you know what? I said, I realize some of you that are here tonight, you may not have come prepared for this, because we had some people respond and give their life to Christ. I said, you may not have come prepared for this. I said, but you're here, and the water's here. And I'm trying to remember if it was two or three, but it was, it was, it was, yeah, three. It was three people that clothes and all climbed in and we were scrounging for towels or something to help them out. And we baptized three people in that service that were not even prepared for that to happen. I mean, talk about dedication when you're willing to get wet in front of people you've never met before. Those are incredible moments. But the sad thing I want to get to today is far too often, that's where people stop. Now that's great. I'm not discounting that at all. That's that's incredible. That's, That's powerful because guess what? That means that their destination is heaven. Like I said, the greatest miracle of all. I am not discounting that at all. But sometimes people stop short of everything God has for them. We've been talking over the last few weeks how that God did not intend us to have to live this thing out by our own willpower. He intended for us to be empowered believers. You know, we're supposed to be world changers. We're not supposed to be the ones that when the times get difficult in the world around us that we huddle up and we circle the wagons and we say, well, I'm just going to try to hold out until this thing's over. No, we're supposed to be taking new ground in new territory. We're supposed to be the ones that are walking because we're the ones that are supposed to be full of His Spirit. We're the ones that are supposed to be the world changers. We're the ones that are supposed to, we have the answers. So what is it we're missing I think we're missing the practice of his presence in our lives. I think we're missing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think we're missing being saturated with his spirit. Did you know the word baptism, the original word, literally means to be immersed or saturated? You know, we have a sponge that sits on the sink that we top of the sink there that we use for cleaning different things and so forth. And, and at different points in times, it's at different levels of saturation. There, there are times that, that, it, uh, that it's got some moisture in it. It's not all dried out. But there are times that it's so saturated that you touch it and you can't help but get wet. I know that God wants us to be saturated with His Spirit. See, when we get saved, there's salvation, as we talked about. There's, there's baptism in water, and most believers are fine with that. But John the Baptist tells us about this. I read Luke's version of this, but 
Matthew repeats it again. Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus himself tells us about this baptism in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Why is this important? Many people ask you, since I know I'm saved, since I know I have eternal life, why, why is being filled with the Holy Spirit so important? Well, first of all, it's an act of obedience. Just like we, we're obedient, we follow him in water baptism. But many times we, we stop. He said, what did he tell his disciples? He said, now go, baptize them in the name of the Father. Go and make disciples. But then he said, but wait until you receive the promise. Wait until you receive the power. Jesus said, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. It's kind of like this. I was thinking about this and how to illustrate it. I almost brought the tools. I just didn't have the one that I wanted. But how many know there are times you just need a saw, right? And you can get job, you can get a job done with with a manual saw. We can put the one saw up on the screen. How many know that you can cut some wood with this? I mean, you can get, I mean, you can even try to do it by yourself just on one side, right? And if you're lucky, you got somebody to help you out and the two of you working together, man, you can cut some wood. You're going to be really, really tired <laughs> after cutting that wood, Right? Boy, if only there was a way to accomplish the same thing empowered. How many know this might be just a little bit better? <laughs> yes, we can be saved. Yes, we can reach people. We can, we can be a part of people's lives transformed because God's word does not return void and he does draw people and he still works and all that stuff. But how many know that he meant his church to be empowered? He meant his people to be empowered. He meant us to walk through and us to be able to cut through things and circumstances unlike that this, we're not meant to just do it all by our effort. And the, the, the case I want to make this morning is this was the normal expected experience of the early church. We read that Paul came to Ephesus. And there was an encounter that took place in Ephesus. And I want you to point out something. This was 25 years roughly after the day of Pentecost. Okay, so we're not talking about something that happened pretty immediately. We're talking quite a bit of time after the day of Pentecost that this happened. And they show up in Ephesus. And we read an interesting encounter. They found some disciples and they asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Acts 19, verse 2, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? So they said to him, We have not even so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So they had a presentation of the gospel. It says that they were baptized. 
but they were not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? They prayed, laid hands on them, and Scripture declares. You read just a few verses later in verse 6. It says, when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. As I said, 25 years after the day of Pentecost. We see this pattern all throughout the church in the book of Acts. We see again and again people that had this encounter with God. They gave their, their, their life, was surrendered to Christ, and, and they followed in water baptism, and they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they would be these empowered believers. And, and the book of Acts really never, any time that this happened, there's actually five times in the book of Acts that we see that people receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. One of them was the day of Pentecost. We see that. We see, we see other things that are going on. We see all this going on. And they, and they, begin, and they, begin, and they begin to speak in tongues. And so, so in three of them, it specifically says, and they spoke in tongues. Two of them, it does not specifically say tongues. However, it says they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit as we did. Now think about that. And people say, well, it doesn't specifically say tongues. Let me, let me throw this out just for thought. Every time the Bible talks about water baptism, it doesn't always specifically mention water. But we know that water was a part of it. My point is that in the early church, there was something that they saw that took place that was visible that told them, yes, they have received that. And you look at the early church, the early church, it was considered the norm. So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about the elephant in the room. Because guess what? So many times, you know, any time, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I get, I get questions all the time. We're gonna, so we're going to talk about this idea of speaking in tongues. I mean, I get questions like, is, and we kind of covered this already, but is it, is it really required for me to be, have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be saved? Do I have to speak in tongues? And I always say, No. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that that has to happen because that's not scriptural. You can be saved because you do get a measure of the Holy Spirit once you give your life to Christ. And no, you don't have to speak in tongues, but the cool thing is you get to. I mean, what is this thing about, you know, why is it we want to draw the bare minimum line? We want to live on that edge. Okay, I want, I want to, you know, here's the line. If I'm on that side of the line, I'm not quite safe. So I'm going to get just on, I'm going to, I'm going to live right here. Why would you want to live right here when you can live back here and you can know that even if I stumble and fall, I ain't falling off the edge. See, we clearly see in these times that these happen, you know, and, 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 it was just understood. 
Because that's what they did. The early church, it was not something that was up for debate. They didn't argue over where the baptism of the Holy Spirit was for new believers. It was, it was just thought. It was practices. They preached. They asked. They, they reached out to people. And it was a part of their normal thing. The early church, that was a normal experience that was expected. It wasn't until years upon years later that that became a debated thing. Now, I want you to understand something. I too, I mean, I grew up in all this, but I too have seen moments and seen things in my life that I was like, I'm not so sure that's God. Just being honest. And growing up around that, I was, man, as, as, I mean, yes, at a fairly early age, I gave my life to Christ and, and followed him and as he drew me and I surrendered and, and that whole process and, and was living for him. But we, we were already married. Serving God. Even, I was even actively doing some things in the church, but I was not filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit because guess what? I am just the kind of person, I'm not going to fake nothing for nobody. If it was going to happen to me, it was going to be real. I'm not going to fake my way through it. I'm not going to courtesy do anything for anybody. Lord, if this is you and this is real, you've got to do it. Oh, I had altar calls that I responded to. I had people that gathered around me and prayed for me. But for me, just because of my mentality, you know what happened for me? We were at home. We were having our private devotion time, just the two of us in the bedroom reading scripture. We'd actually just kind of sing a couple of worship songs together, just, just our own intimate time as a married couple with God. And we started praying following that. And all of a sudden there was a presence that came and hit me in my own bedroom. Next thing I know, I was off the bed, down on my face before God, and he was working me over. I got up a completely different individual. Not that I wasn't serving him before, but there was a new passion, a new fire, a new, there was, there was something that was there that wasn't there before. You know, Here's the thing we look at. Did Jesus talk about tongues? Absolutely. Is it scriptural? Absolutely. You know, the believers spoke in tongues we know on the day of Pentecost. All throughout the books of Acts, we see it. Uh, Jesus himself made this statement. And listen, I want you to get this. He wasn't just talking to his disciples. He was talking to his disciples, but he was talking beyond his disciples because he was telling them what they were going to do. And he made this statement. Jesus himself said this, and these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 39 through 40 says, Therefore, children, desire earnestly to prophesy, and oh, this one blows up some people's theology, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Once again, this was written to the church in Corinth. This was around, this too was around 25 years after the day of Pentecost. But why do we need this strange gift of tongues? 
What is the purpose for this practice? Well, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man but to God, for no one understands him. However, and I want you in your mind to underline these next three words, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now think about that word, in the Spirit. Now what he is talking about, he's definitely talking about speaking in tongues here, and he uses the terminology in the Spirit. I want you to hold on to that for just a second. Because if we look at it in 1 Corinthians 14.4, it says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. In Ephesians 6.18, listen to this. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With that in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the saints. You notice first part there we read, he was referring to tongues when he said in the Spirit. And then in Ephesians he says, keep on praying in the Spirit for all kinds of requests. See, there is something about it uh, that just that builds. I mean, have you ever had that moment that you're just like, I, I've got this burden in my heart. I need to pray. I need to lay some things out before God. And you're like, I really don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could just kind of flip over and say, Holy Spirit, you pray for me? That's what praying in the Spirit is. And some of you say, well, now, it was, yes, it was for that generation, but when that generation was gone, it went away. Okay. All right. Jude one twenty. Let me give you a little information about Jude. How many know that in Scripture, one generation was about 40 years? Guess when Jude was written? Approximately 50 years after the day of Pentecost. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. We're talking the next generation here. Romans 8.26, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. See, when when we're praying in the Spirit, we're not talking to man, we're talking to God. So we know that we're talking to him, everybody else doesn't need to be a part of the conversation. Because literally we have those times the Holy Spirit can pray for us. I've got so much material here. I am not going to get through all of this. But I want you to understand, I'm trying to make a case here. And I want you to see something here. In 2008, the University of Phoenix did a study. And you can actually look up, look up you find multiple places, even a video where they talk about it. But... Uh, Basically, what they decided to do, they were going to study this, this phenomenon that was in Scripture recorded in Acts and that, that different people practice today. They were going to study this phenomenon of praying in tongues. 
So they hooked people up to all kinds of brain monitors so they could see exactly what was going on in the brain as people were praying in tongues. Okay? They thought that the speech center of the brain would be engaged. And if people were really making it up like they thought, that the creativity side of the brain would be engaged. What they found was when people really begin to pray and worship, and those that were spirit-filled begin to pray in tongues, that both those areas of the brain went remarkably quiet. As if someone or something else was in charge of what was going on. Kind of interesting, huh? So the question is, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You see, if we wait until we understand it all, we'll never get there. We shouldn't overanalyze it. Many times I have people tell me, well, isn't praying in the tongues weird? Yes, it is. (laughs) It's absolutely weird. But doesn't God use the foolish things to confound the wise? I mean, it is so wonderful. I mean, think about this. If God were going to give an outward sign of the inner feeling of the Spirit, wouldn't the coolest thing to be to take the one thing that Scripture says is the hardest thing in the world to tame and to show outwardly that it has been tamed? See, this is for today. He wants us to be empowered. We can't, we shouldn't discount this. We shouldn't put it away. You know, we all know people that are, that are professing to be Christians. And yes, there are some people that do crazy weird stuff that, like I said, that sometimes get outside the bounds of what the Holy Spirit's doing. And yes, you have to wade through that stuff. And so many churches and so many people say, we're just not going to mess with any of that stuff. We'll just push it off to the side. But I say you're walking in dangerous territory. If you say, Holy Spirit, you are no longer welcome to operate here. I think the best policy is to allow the Holy Spirit to move and to do what he desires to do. And then if you have to deal with issues that are out of bounds, you deal with the issues that are out of bounds. Because this world needs a demonstration of who he is. I mean, think about it. Think about the disciples. They had no idea what to expect. Jesus said, go and wait for power. Okay, we're here, we're waiting, we're praying, whatever this thing is. Lord, send it. They didn't know what was going to come. They didn't know they were going to speak in tongues. They didn't know that they were going to hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. They didn't know that little tongues of fire was going to come and separate and rest on top of each one of them. They didn't know how to receive. They didn't know what to do. All they did was show up and say, Lord, whatever you have for me, whatever this thing is that you promise I want it, send it. 
And we get so caught up in overthinking and overanalyzing, and all we really need to do is just say, Lord, I want what you have for me. I surrender and continue to surrender and continue to pursue until you have your moment. Maybe it'll be at an altar time. Maybe it'll be in the privacy of your own bedroom like it was with me. All I know is if you seek him, you will find him. If you continue to knock and ask, he will give you because he desires for you to be filled and empowered and walk in his spirit. All he told them to do was go and wait. I'm going to say one more thing and we're going to pray. Maybe. We're going to pray, but the one more thing's in question. If you've not been filled with the Spirit, just ask. It's not that complicated. We're not seeking tongues. We're not seeking anything but the God of the universe. And I know that there are people, I had, I had a situation, this was a few years back, we had a little issue going on with the air conditioning system, and I had the AC guy here at the church, and we were working through some of it, and I was sitting there talking to him, and, and uh, you know, question came around, and he asked if, if we were one of those churches. <laughs> and so I confirmed that, yes, we are. I mean, I, you know, I always, always says like, you know, I know where you're going, but it's not like you think. But, you know, but this guy flat out said it. He said, well, I've been told, isn't that speaking in tongue stuff of the devil? I said, well, if you can show me where that is, I'll be glad to talk to you about it. I mean, it's, it's all through Scripture. And I don't know where people get past this idea because Paul said, I mean, we're talking, he wasn't talking to disciples. He was talking to the church in Corinth when he said, do not forbid speaking in tongues. I don't know how clearer you can make that. But sometimes we wonder, sometimes we struggle. Is that really for me? The only barriers that are really in the way is if you've got some unresolved sin, ask for forgiveness, get it right. Work past your doctrinal hang-ups. God is not going to give you, if you, let me put it this way. Let me read your passage script first, then I'm going to wrap that up. Luke 11, 11 through 13. Jesus himself talking says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If then, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you're truly asking God in a worshipful atmosphere, Lord, give me everything you've got for me. In that moment, 
The devil doesn't come in and take over and cause you to do something that is out of bounds. You're having a moment with God. He's not anywhere in the picture. So this idea that somehow something's going to happen that is outside of, of anything God would do is just bogus. All we need to do, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. All you need to do, it's we make things so complicated. The, we get caught up and we want to play these mind games and we act like it's so hard. But as I said, the disciples didn't even know what they were waiting for. It was literally just, Lord, you promised we're waiting. And we're seeking you and we're glorifying you while we're waiting. That's all we have to do is surrender. Seek him. Pursue him. Let him come and begin to touch us. And as we worship him and we glorify him and we empty ourselves of all the stuff, we say, Lord, I surrender to you. I want you to have your way. I want to be full of your spirit. I want to be saturated with your presence. And as we begin to do that, we just tune, literally just tune everything else out and focus on him. And as you seek him, he will come. And when he does, don't just become a puppet there's a cooperation there's a yielding that takes place and at first it may simply be just a groaning or a sound but whatever he gives you just begin to release that you don't have to even be loud may suddenly don't care what anybody thinks and be loud. But it's the most beautiful thing when all of a sudden you realize that the God of the universe loves you enough. And he says, I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit in to this life until they're saturated to overflowing and you just release you let him have his way don't get so caught up in seeking this or seeking that just seek him when the time is right what did it say does he give a snake to someone that's asking for bread? No. He longs for you to live this life empowered. The world needs spirit-filled people that win that moment that aren't afraid to grab somebody's hands in the middle of Walmart 
pray for them. That doesn't mean you have to make a show. How many know sometimes when somebody pours out, and that's a whole other sermon, but we just need to be willing vessels. Just think of what 12 guys did that were full of the Spirit. As they begin to go and travel. And more were filled and it spread. And the enemy came along and even tried to bring persecution and stop it in Jerusalem. And when they did, it spread and the fire caught caught everywhere they went. I know we could use a little bit of that today. So I'm going to ask them to begin to lead us back into worship this morning. I know we've gone a little long. But if you're here, everybody just bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here, and maybe we've talked about all this, and and you stop and you say, whoa, 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 back up. I haven't, haven't even done the first baptism into the body of Christ yet. I haven't surrendered yet. as you spoke this morning I felt that tugging of the Holy Spirit and I'm ready just to surrender my life to Christ I'm not going to run I'm not going to fight I'm ready to just be His if that's you nobody looking around just raise your hand and say that's me I'm just ready to surrender my life to Christ completely those of you that are not trying to make a spectacle, but if you've done that, if you raise your hand for that, would you just come across the front if you can? I just want to pray for you. Individually, just make your way up. Then maybe there's some of you that are here, you say, you know what? I've surrendered my life to Christ, but I've I've just not Truly taking that next step to say, Lord, I want to be full of your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me. I need that. I desire that. I want to live my life empowered. And I'm tired of, of going through other things and chasing other things. I'm ready, Lord. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit exactly like you talked about. If that's you, would you raise your hand and would you just come join us down front? Anybody at all? It is for today. Don't hold back. Don't wrestle. Don't discuss. If you feel that tug, respond to that tug right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. I'm going to begin to pray for these that are down front here and pray with them but if you feel that tug respond respond you know what maybe I'm going to add one more thing to that maybe you're here and you say you know what I've been filled with the spirit but I've just reached that point in my life that I'm just dry did you know it's scriptural to be refilled with the spirit 
There's multiple times in Scripture that the, the disciples faced circumstances and they called upon the Lord and it says and the Lord filled them with the Spirit. Now these are people that were already Spirit-filled. Why in the world would we need to be refilled? It's pretty simple. I don't know about you, but I leak. I get dry. Sometimes I'm just, Lord, Fill me again. Fill me again. Anybody else? We'll give just a few more moments. God's presence is here. God's presence is here. Anybody else? They're going to lead us back into worship. If you're here and you haven't responded, I want you to pray for these that are up front here. And I want you to enter into worship and help us sit this atmosphere for God to do something incredible in these people's lives.